I think it's appropriate for us to pray in response to that song. I didn't have this plan, but why not? All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, indeed the world might see Christ in all that we do. We pray, Father, that you would be honored as we strive to live our lives in a way that pleases you, that honors you, so that the world can see the great power of the gospel, so that they can see the gospel works. The gospel can change lives. The gospel can free us from sin. And so we pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified as we consider how we live our entire lives as an act of worship to you. Thank you, Father, for, um, for this morning, for allowing us to gather together, to sing together as one body. And now as we enter into the preaching of your word, as we hear the word together, as we think about the word together, and as we uh, try and uh, meditate upon the word together, process the word together, we pray that you would be pleased. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, um, I, I do want to begin with a quick note. We are going to have a child dedication service at the end of uh, our service this morning. Uh, and it's not going to be uh, recorded or broadcast, so this is an exclusive to you guys. So, hey, good job. Um, and, uh, you know, be, because of this child dedication service, though, we want to make sure that we give time for, uh, for the worship of the Lord in that way, giving thanks for these little ones that he's uh, graciously provided for our church. The sermon this morning will be a little shorter, um, but, uh, well... We'll see if that actually is the case. But I'm going to try to make sure that the sermon is shorter so that we can uh, also observe this other aspect of worship. Uh, with that being said, though, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we continue to study the one another's as a church. We're going to be looking at various passages this morning, but we're going to, uh, we're going to launch our, our sermon from Ephesians 4. Now, for context, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 4.22, and then we're going to go all the way down to our key verse, which is verse 32. Okay, so Ephesians 4.22 to 32, and the Apostle Paul writes this, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that, he, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has 
forgiven you. Our God, we pray that you would be honored in the preaching of your word this morning. We pray for your strength, uh, not only to, uh, to hear your word and to, and to pay attention, even though it is early, but also that, Lord, you would help us to avoid that temptation of thinking that these truths that we study this morning uh, are not for us, but they're for other people. Help us, Lord, to be teachable, to have tender hearts that are submissive to your word, not to the preacher, but to your word. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us all to have humility this morning and that you would be pleased as we consider uh, how we can uh, grow in this area of being kind to one another. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for your word and for the power that it has. Uh, we pray that you would be honored. It's your sons that we pray. Amen. Well, outside of love, there seems to be no greater virtue that the world around us champions more than kindness. As a whole, our society strives to encourage people to be kind to one another right, so that we can be a more positive community that celebrates what is good. And sure, there are people out there who we might generally categorize as angry, impatient, and grumpy, but generally speaking, most uh, of our neighbors, many of our neighbors, would never object to a movement that emphasizes the importance of kindness within our community. However, something that I've observed is that those who preach kindness and respect to others have a fatal flaw. Intolerance. Intolerance. If there are others who do not agree with their own personal, or with with other people's personal standard of what is right and what is wrong, or what is kind, or or if there's opposition to uh, their, their value system, it is far easier for these people who preach kindness to treat these other people as an enemy or as an outsider. It's, far, it's become far easier for people to mask their intolerance of others due to the somewhat anonymous nature of the internet. There are many a useless and fruitless fight uh, on Facebook or next door social, uh, social media platforms have erupted because one faction deems the other faction as mean-spirited, bigoted, hateful, and what have you. And it's incredibly ironic that people who talk about the importance of kindness only care about kindness when it applies to a certain group of people. Now, my, my goal this morning is not to solve the world's problems. I cannot, you know, and we cannot uh, cause people to stop being unkind to one another and, uh, and, um, and bigoted towards one another uh, on the internet. There's definitely no way we can do that. Um, nor is it my goal to, to help make your online interactions with other people more pleasant. Uh, frankly, many of us would do well to pay attention to Proverbs 10.19, where it says, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. However, our goal this morning is not to talk about that, but is to understand what the Bible teaches us about true kindness. 
and then use that understanding to help us understand how we can practice that true kindness in our lives. And so that's going to be our outline for this morning. We're going to look at the definition of biblical kindness, and then we're going to look at the practice of biblical kindness. So first, let's look at the definition of biblical kindness. So Ephesians 4 Uh, 31 to 32 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. As we were reminded earlier in chapter four, as we were reading our context, our passage this morning takes place as Paul reminds the Ephesians that the natural result of a person being saved by God's grace is life transformation. Right? The natural result of salvation is life transformation. The things which are natural for us to experience in this life but are still not pleasing to God must at least be in the process of becoming more like Christ. For example, in our last sermon, we saw... Um, We saw that the application of speaking truth to one another, it encourages us uh, to uh, to honestly let others know how we are feeling without lying and pretending like everything is okay when it's not. That was one of the applications. We, of course, do not need to be brutally honest or spill everything, but there are ways where we can be honest, ways that we can speak the truth without lying, right? And that's, that's one of the things that we're putting off, right? We're putting off falsehood and we're putting on truthfulness. Now, it is this type of put off, put on kind of behavior that we're examining this morning as we're, as we're talking about kindness. And as you can see with verse 31 and 32 together, the sinful behavior that we uh, are to take out of our lives, uh, it's a uh, bitterness, it's wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and all malice. If uh, if you want to think about it this way, if you've read uh, Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins, right, we're talking about anger right, and all of the offshoots of anger. Right? And most of us, we don't like to think of ourselves as angry people. Right? We are, we're not like those people that we see on TV or in movies who are easily irritated or who blow up on other people. We're not like those mean people at work who are unkind and hold grudges. Or are we? Sure, maybe some of you are not as bad as some of those other people that you know. But the question that we rarely ask ourselves is, uh, in, in our temptations to be angry, would God be okay with how I am responding to my situation right now? Would God be okay with how I am responding to my situation right now? Hint, more often than not, the answer is no. More often than not, the answer is no. Sin is so deceitful that it tells us that we have the right to feel the way that we feel. We have the right to behave the way that we behave when we're sinned against. We have the right to think the way that we think. But what we learn in salvation is that while real hurt and real pain might have occurred in our lives, Christ has freed us from 
that enslavement, to sinfully respond to these real hurts and real pains. Christ has freed us from the enslavement to sinfully respond to real hurts and real pains. You don't have to respond like you used to, like you would have in your former life. You can, because of the grace of God, respond differently. And that doesn't mean that we don't care about those real hurts and real pains that and, and that those who hurt us are responsible, uh, uh, um, sorry, that those who hurt us are off the hook. Right? We do care about those things, and we do long for those responsible to repent and to be held responsible, to, to, help, to be held accountable. But we cannot always control the outcome. And that's where we must learn to put our hope and our trust in God rather than in our fellow man, rather than in our justice system, knowing that he will deal with all sin and that he really does care for us. And this, of course, is much easier said than done. But what we have to recognize is that the temptation to allow for these sins of anger and bitterness and all those related sins uh, are still, are still, uh, are freely operating in our lives, and that's still sin. If we allow them to freely operate in our lives, that's still sin. Before God. Remember what Paul says at the end of Romans 12 when we're reminded that vengeance is God's. He will repay. Right? Instead of being overcome by evil, we are to overcome evil with good. And it's with that knowledge that God cares for us and that God will deal with sin, right? especially sin against us. It's with that in mind that is what encourages us and motivates us to put away sinful anger and bitterness towards others and to put on a heart of compassion and kindness. It is God's forgiveness of us that encourages us to be forgiving. And so when we look at Paul's command to be kind here in verse 32, it can be easy for us to, under, to uh, assume that we understand what he means. Right? Be kind, that's easy. That's super easy. Right? But what does it really mean to be kind from a biblical perspective? Because right? to be kind from a human perspective is I smile at you, I say hello to you, um, maybe I uh, show some hospitality to you, but then, you know, I can also, you know, in, uh, in the same in the same interaction, in my heart, be opposed to you too, right? Or I could turn my back after I greet you and I'll be muttering, oh man, I can't believe that person. Can you believe this guy? Right? I could do that too, right? right? It could be easy for us in our own hearts to really, really despise the person that we're being kind to, right? So that's why we want to understand here what Paul means when he says that we are to be kind. And the first thing that we want to notice before we dig into our definition is, uh, is what the command is saying to us. Um, so the command is not necessarily, uh, is, not, is not in the, the word kind, but in the word be. Um, and so every major translation, every major English translation translate this command as be kind, but the Greek carries with it this idea that we are to continually be in the process of becoming kind. And that's kind of weird in our English, but I bring that to our attention because kindness is not something that all of us are naturally. And yet we are told that this is what ought to be happening to us within us 
over time. We're not going to be perfectly kind towards others, especially when they're doing things that annoy us, irritate us, or make us angry. But God expects for us to be in the process of not only learning kindness, but also being kind. So we're in the process of becoming kind. That's the command. Become kind. And so we should practically demonstrate that kindness to others. And the second thing that we want to notice, and this is kind of where we're going to spend the majority of our time, is that this particular word for kindness, if you look it up online in Blue Letter Bible or whatever other resource that you have, it's actually really rare. There are other words in the scriptures that, uh, or uh, yeah, in the scriptures that, Uh, say kind or kindness but this particular word is really rare it only shows up uh, three three or four other times in the scriptures Uh, and so we're going to take a look at those words and their context to kind of narrow down for us uh, an understanding of what kindness uh, is and so the first uh, the first word uh, the first time it appears uh, is in luke 6 35 Um, luke 6 35 and uh, the, Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes, or as some pastors like to say, the attitudes that Christians ought to be having. And he says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Right, so Jesus, he's teaching his disciples that they are to act differently than the world around them. Our most natural human instinct when it comes to how generous we are with others is to only be generous to others if it's advantageous to us. If we know that people are going to reciprocate kindness to us, to reciprocate generosity to us, it's far easier for us to be willing to be generous to them and to do good to them. That's only natural. But Jesus, he's challenging his disciples not to think that way uh, since even people who are not Christians think that way. Instead, we are to do good to others with no expectation that they will reciprocate. And what is our motivation for this radical type of love and goodness? Well, it's because God himself will reward us. He will, uh, and, um, and as he rewards us, right, and as he gives us of his kindnesses, we will prove to be his children. We will prove to be his children. But notice that at the very end of the verse, right, the, the reason why he would reward us is because of his kindness. It's all based on his kindness. God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. He shows his kindness to all people. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, how is it that God is kind to ungrateful and evil men? Doesn't he judge ungrateful and evil men for their sin? Well, yes, he does eventually, but God demonstrates kindness to unbelievers and believers alike through something that we call common grace, common grace. Common grace can simply be defined as the graces or the blessings that God allows all mankind to experience here on this earth, regardless of whether one is a believer or not. Now, we're talking about things that many of us might take for granted, like enjoying the warmth of the sun on our faces. We take that for granted here because, you know, we live, well, the majority of us live in San Francisco, right? So when the sun comes on our faces, we're like, oh, what a relief. Finally, I'm away from from that evil fog, right? Um, But we take that for granted. 
And we fail to recognize that that is a gift from God. Uh, when we eat, and we pray, and we thank God for the food, but sometimes we fail to register the fact that those different flavors that you enjoy, right, and, and the marrying of flavors together to make something really tasty, right, that's something that the Lord is kind enough to allow you to experience too. Because right? God, he could have made food just, just enough. Right? He, could have all, he could have given us all bland food, right? nutrition bars, whey protein, yuck. Right? Just, just straight whey protein, no vanilla flavor, no sugar, nothing. Just straight nutrition, just as you need it. Right? He, could have get, he could have done that, but he didn't. Right? He gave us these flavors to enjoy. That's a grace to us. Um, another thing is the love and the company that we have from our friends and family. Right? There are so m- many different things that God is gracious enough to allow us to enjoy and experience in this life. And those things that I mentioned, they're just a small sample of those kindnesses that God allows us to experience here on this earth. You know, for the believer, these kindnesses are just a foretaste, a preview of what is to come in heaven. But for the unbeliever, this is the closest that they will ever get to experiencing the joys of heaven. And so here in Luke 6, we see that God's kindness to all is the reason why we want to show kindness to others, even if they don't show us that kindness back, because we want to reflect God's generous and gracious kindness uh, that he's shown to us to others so they can get a glimpse of the God whom we worship. And we see something similar in the second occurrence of the word, which is in Romans 2, 4. Paul's addressing those who are hypocritically judging others for sin uh, while practicing those very same sins themselves. And he asks them a rhetorical question. He asks them a rhetorical question. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And and that specific, unique word for kindness is that last one that we see at the bottom of the verse, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. If we know about and have experienced the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience towards us, then shouldn't we have more respect towards God, knowing? That is, it is precisely these instances of kindness that God has shown towards us, that he's extended towards us, that leads us to repentance. Because before salvation, before salvation, you and I should have died immediately when we committed our first sins. Make no mistake. The moment you first rebelled against your parents when they told you to do something, right? Go to bed, take a nap, right? Don't put your finger in the electric socket. The moment you said no in rebellion, that is the very moment that God should have struck you down. It's rebellion, it's sin. So some of you might think that. Hey, God, that is unfair. You can't do that. You can't judge us immediately after our first sin. It's so small. It's so insignificant. 
However, what we fail to realize when we cry out and claim that God is unfair or too judgmental is the fact that if God were actually to be fair, those seemingly insignificant acts of rebellion, whether they're expressed in our outward action or they're occurring in our innermost thoughts, they're sins that are committed against an infinitely holy God who is so holy that he is the very definition of righteousness and justice. And since he's the creator, he has every right every right to make the standard of righteous thought and righteous conduct conform to his own righteousness. And he does. For a God who is so pure and holy to be around sin, it's absolutely unthinkable because that is actually unjust. Every sin that violates what is good, what is holy, what is true, deserves to be dealt with immediately. Like a game of whack-a-mole, except once the sin is attacked, it's never to return. That would be justice. That would be justice if God just smacked down every single act of rebellion and sin against him and just executed justice all the time. That would be justice. That would be fair. But God... But God, right? Oh, the beauty of those two words. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Instead, what we see here in Romans 2, 4, is that God is patient towards us. He extends tolerance and and and. Uh, and Mercy towards us because he gives us a second chance. He gives all sinners a second chance to repent of our sins. And not just one second chance, not just two second chances, but a lot of second chances. So that we might be convicted of our sins and so that we might repent. The kindness of God that he extends to us is supposed to lead us to repentance because when you understand how sinful you are, when you understand how wretched you are, the fact that God does not strike you dead that very moment is a, is a wonder. Do you wonder why we sing in worship? Do you wonder why we are so thankful to our Lord? It's because he shows us kindness and that kindness ought not to lead us to think, oh, well, if he's gonna be kind, I'll sin some more. No, his kindness to us leads us to think, I need to stop sinning because of the grace that he has shown me or because of the love that he has shown me. I need to stop sinning. He's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Who does that? God does. God does that. So returning to our original question before we began looking at Luke 6 and Romans 2, what does Paul mean when he says uh, that, uh, that we are to be kind, becoming kind? Well, he wants us to consider the kindness of God and, and to get better at demonstrating that same kindness that God shows us to other people, right? And so that kindness is not necessarily that we're just nice, okay? We should, although we should be nice, Okay? We should be nice. That is an extension of, of God's kindness. But the kindness that we're talking about, the kindness that we ought to demonstrate to others is a kindness that is characterized by love, mercy, patience, and an awareness, a keen awareness 
of the kindness that God extends to us, right? That is what motivates our kindness, That's what motivates our kindness towards others. Now, for those of you who are here this morning who are not Christians, I invite you at this moment to consider the fact that God is exceedingly kind and patient with you. He is, and he, well, he has, and he is giving you an opportunity to recognize that you are a sinner and that your best efforts to live a good life, they're not good enough. God continues to be patient towards you, not giving you true justice for what you deserve for your sins right now so that you can have an opportunity to leave your sins behind, to repent of those sins, to receive his gracious forgiveness and to be adopted into his family. And so I ask that you consider these great kindnesses that God has shown you and that you would repent of your sins and believe in him. Fellow Christians, you may consider yourself a kind person. This one's going to sting. But how, how does your kindness match up to God's? You might think of yourself as a kind person, but how does your kindness match up to God's? Can you say, that your kindness towards others is motivated by love towards them. Can you say that you are a merciful person? Can you say that you're a truly patient person? I don't ask you these questions because I'm trying to make you feel terrible this morning. But I ask you these questions because sometimes we need a hard and honest look at ourselves to encourage us to move from apathy into a more conscious pursuit of God and Christ's likeness. Those questions that I just asked, they shouldn't just sting you. They should sting all of us. Right? No one should look at those questions and be like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm kind. Right? No, we, we all have room to grow when it comes to kindness. We all have room to grow when it comes to kindness. Being kind is not simply the fact that you're nice or that you're welcoming. It's essentially a call to be like the God who demonstrates kindness to us. And with that in mind, let's consider how we might grow in kindness in this life as we look at the practice of biblical kindness, the practice of biblical kindness. Now, as we reflect on God's kindness to us, I do want to differentiate God's kindness, the one that we've just spent time uh, unpacking uh, in our practice of kindness, to other forms of kindness, such as showing hospitality. Hospitality is related to kindness, but uh, for our purposes this morning, we're just going to limit our our application and our thoughts to uh, the imitation of God's kindness to those whom we're tempted to be unkind to. So so that's the scope of the limited scope of our application section this morning is how do we uh, imitate God's kindness to those to whom we're tempted to be unkind towards. So the main way that we can grow in this particular aspect of biblical kindness is to repent of sinful anger, bitterness, irritation, or annoyance towards others. And we see that specifically uh, in, that part, uh, in that verse leading up to verse 32, Ephesians 4.31. 
And we see here, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. A lack of kindness in our lives demonstrates a disconnect that we have between the kindness we've been shown from God and the kindness that we ought to show towards others. There's a disconnect if we're unkind. If we can be described as unkind people, it means that there is a disconnect between our understanding of the kindnesses that have been shown towards us and how we ought to reflect those towards others. A lack of kindness in our lives highlights the hidden reefs of pride and self-importance in our lives that threatens to ruin your testimony within your own family, within your church family, and basically to anyone who sees your life. Because we have unintentionally, or perhaps for some of us, intentionally placed ourselves on the same level as God. As we believe that we have the right, we have the right to express our anger and our displeasure towards those who upset us, irritate us, annoy us, or are unkind to us. However, even in those instances in which we, we, we may have legitimately been wronged or hurt, God does not give us permission to respond to those wrongs and hurts sinfully. We are never justified in answering sin for sin. Okay, we are never, ever justified answering sin for sin. We, it's, it's, it's easy to do that, though, right? It's easy to do that, to answer sin for sin, but we're never justified in doing that. Um, and when we talk about repenting from sinful anger, how do we do that, right? It's easy for us to say that we must repent, but what we're going to do right now in the remaining time that we have is we're going to look at how we ought to repent specifically, right, specifically um, of anger and how we can put on kindness. After all, we sin specifically, so we must repent specifically. I mean, if, if you pray, uh, if you just pray to God and you say this, Father, please forgive me for my anger and my bitterness. Help me not to be angry and bitter uh, anymore. Amen. Right, that's a good start. Right, that's a good start. But what have you actually done to prepare your heart to put off sin in your lives? I'm sure even in me just rattling off that prayer, some of you probably like, I do pray like that. Right? Maybe not towards anger, but about other things. Right? I will confess, I have prayed like that. Sometimes I still pray like that, and I have to remember, no, I, can't, I have to be a little more specific than that. Right? Uh, and so, so what are the things that we can do to help us combat our heart's tendency to return to sin? Because right? you can just say those words, but if you don't actually mean it, if you don't have a plan in terms of how you can actually repent, you're just going to keep sinning. You're going to put yourself back in that cycle of sin. So how can we practically repent of this, these sins of anger? Well, uh, the following uh, are just going to be a few suggestions of where you can start. Okay? A few suggestions of where you can start. First, you can practice uh, putting on kindness by, number one, spending more time in the Bible. Spending more time in the Bible. Now, that might sound weird to you, right? but 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, 
and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, it still, seems, it still might seem a little weird that digging deeper into God's word will help us to repent of anger, but think about the connection that Peter wants us to make here. We respond to life's circumstances in a sinful manner because we are responding to sin through our old habits. Through our old habits. Now that we've been saved, now that we've been freed from our sins, how can we begin to become more like Jesus? It's by studying the word. By studying what the word of God has to say uh, and what it has revealed to us about Jesus. Or how can you become like someone who you kind of don't really know? Right? You might say you know Jesus. You might say that you've believed in him and you've, you've been to church for a long time. Right? But do you actually know him? Right? You say you know him, but do you actually know him? Do you try to live like him? And that's what we're talking about here. That's why he's saying, long for the pure milk of the word so that you can grow in Christ-likeness. Right? In respect to salvation is essentially Christ-likeness. Right? What, are, what is our aim in the Christian life? Is it just to get our hell insurance and then live our lives the way that we wanted to? Right? It's like, well, I'm freed from sin. Time for me to go on vacation. God's goal for us is not just so that we can be all saved from going to hell and, and we just live our lives the way we want to. He wants us to become more like Christ. He wants us to become more like Christ. And so that's why we, as we intake the word, we're trying to grow in respect to salvation. Right? We're growing in Christ's likeness. Each and every one of us needs to become more like Jesus, needs to become uh, daily a little bit more and more like Christ. Okay, daily. And so... Um, you know, these things that, that God calls sin, that we're just like, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I didn't sin as bad as I did yesterday, so it's not that bad. Right? These are the things that God wants us to change from. Right? And then uh, secondly, secondly, we can practice putting on kindness by, number two, entrusting ourselves to God. Number two, entrusting ourselves to God. First Peter 2, 21 to 23 reads this. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any, uh, was any, any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. As we look to the example that Christ left for us to follow in his steps. We can see here clearly that we're not given permission to remain in our sins. Just because uh, responding sinfully is natural does not mean that it is right. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's right. There is grace for our failures, and, and there are so many chances that the Lord gives us, but we must strive to grow so that we don't respond sinfully, right? And that's the work that the word of God can actually do in our hearts, where we can catch ourselves in the moment where we would be tempted to respond sinfully and think, no, I know how I want to respond. I know how I would have respond, 
but I will not respond because of the grace that God has shown me. And you begin, as you become transformed, you begin to start counseling yourself in that way. It doesn't mean that you will not feel those feelings of anger, irritation, or annoyance, but it, means, it does mean that, in a sense, you have an emergency break that kind of automatically goes up, and you're stopping yourself, and you're thinking, I don't think God wants me to respond like this. How should I respond? And so, you know, um, we, we tend to take the sins committed against us very personally. And these sins that are committed against us, they could be real sins. They could be imagined sins too, right? We could imagine that people are sinning against us. We can read into actions or inaction, and we could respond personally to those too, right? All those things. And so what we need to do is we need to take a step back to see how we can approach those things differently. And when we look at the example of Jesus, right, notice what he did when he was being insulted and threatened, right? Not only that, but they were beating him around the head and spitting on him and stuff. And what did he do? Did he spit back at them? You know, like in those movies where you, know, something you, you get spat on, you spit back, right? No, he didn't. He didn't say, just you wait. My, my father's going to deal with you, right? Did he say that? No. No, he did not, right? He did not respond in kind, but instead he kept, right? He continually entrusted himself to God, knowing that God is the one who judges righteously, He trusted that the Lord would take care of him and that God the Father would be his defender. He didn't defend himself. He let God do it. In a similar way, we must entrust ourselves to God in the circumstances we are in if we feel that we've suffered unfairly or wrongly. Now, we must, of course, make sure that we are right with God and we're not guilty of sin ourselves. But if we are being unfairly treated and are tempted to respond with sinful anger to a situation, remember the example of Christ. And do not return sin for sin, but instead strive to trust God that he will take care of it, that he will resolve it. And also to remember, that, especially if, if whatever was done to us in the past uh, is in the past, right, that that God sovereignly allowed it, right? Not to allow for the old feelings of bitterness and resentment to kind of come back and take a hold of our hearts in that moment, right? And make us angry all over again. And I tell you this because I struggle with this too, okay? I struggle with that too. And that's why we have to continue to entrust ourselves to the Lord because we will struggle to sin in these particular ways. But what we have to remember is that, no, God has shown us kindness, right? He's shown us kindness and he's shown us the way that we ought to go. And so we should, instead of going back to or falling back to our old habits, we should instead be striving to become more like Christ, right? So uh, we want to entrust ourselves to God, whether that means praying uh, or, uh, or having someone who holds you accountable, remind you of the truth, right? These, that's a way that we can practically begin to do that. Uh, third, um, we can practically put on kindness by, uh, well, remembering the kindness of God, remembering the kindness of God, um, and, um, you know, as, as we look to Luke, uh, it says this, but love your enemies and do good and, and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Uh, remember, these are the attitudes that we ought to be having as the children of God. And so we're motivated to put off any expectation of others being kind to us before we are kind to them. Because, well, God showed us that that's how we ought to act. Um, 
We're not like God in that we're perfectly pure and holy. So we are going to struggle in showing that kind of kindness to other people. But but we can repent of any uh, anger or resentment that might arise in our own hearts, knowing that any offense committed against us is nothing compared to the offense that we personally have committed against God. No sin against us is ever, ever as, as significant as the sins that we've committed against God. And if he can show us kindness, despite the infinite, infinite magnitude of our sins against him, can we not show kindness to others, even those who we uh, consider enemies? And as you're wrestling with showing kindness to others, perhaps, perhaps it would be good for you to do some Incident journaling, some incident journaling, right? Note when it is difficult for you to show kindness. What are the situations? Who are the people involved? What's going on? And examine not just who is involved, but what is the context, right? What's going on in that time? And not only what's going on in that time from your perspective, but also trying to figure out why am I being tempted to respond in this particular way to these circumstances? And so as you are reflecting, as you're looking at the facts, staring at you on the paper or your screen, whatever you choose to do, note the reasons why you are tempted to be unkind. Note the reasons why you're angry. And ask yourself, do I have a right to be angry? Do I have a right to respond the way that I respond? And if I say to myself, I definitely do. Do you know what this person has done to me? Think again. Think again. Do I have a right, according to God, to respond to the things that uh, are happening? How does God want me to respond to these things that are happening to me? That's a different thing in and of itself too, right? Right? Not only do I have a right, but does God agree with me? Would God agree with me that I have a right to respond this way? No. So remembering the kindnesses that you've been shown by God, that's absolutely critical in how we remind ourselves of truth, how we remind ourselves of uh, the fact that we as citizens of heaven are to be ambassadors of our Father to this world. And the way that we treat others is an indication of actually how much we love God. Right, the way that, uh, that we treat others is an indication of how much we love God. Because if we love God a lot, like we say we do, and are willing to die to self and show others kindness, even if they never show kindness to us in return, even if they never come up to us and ask us for forgiveness and demonstrate repentance for what they've done, we prove that we are his children if we are able to show them kindness, even if they never acknowledge those things. We prove to fellow Christians who know our situation and to the watching world around us that the gospel works. The gospel works. Now, I understand that sin makes applying these truths tricky at times, but there are principles in God's word which help us to recognize that despite the trickiness of sin, I am still responsible for me. 
I am still responsible for me and for how I respond to my circumstances. And so I must strive then to show kindness to others even when it's difficult. Well, it's not difficult at all to look, uh, to, to look for reasons to be unkind towards others. Maybe we're not trying to be openly hostile to others when we are tempted to be unkind, but we can be cold. We can be aloof. We, we can be distant from others when we don't particularly like them or want them to get close to us. And while the world around us would generally support us for our reasons to be unkind, what we're reminded from our sermon this morning is that God wants us to imitate him in the way that we interact with others. One another. And so, since we've been shown a great kindness from God before we were saved and even after we were saved, we ought to be some of the most, uh, we, we might, uh, we ought to be some of the most kind people to the people who live with us, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co workers, and to strangers. And because we've seen God's kindness modeled for us, both by God the Father and God the Son, we should strive to be people who submit ourselves to the word of God when it comes to how we ought to respond to the world around us. And the call for us to obey and show kindness to others is difficult. It's going to take a lot of work. You're not going to like it. You're going to have moments of failure, but by God's grace and power, we can and we will grow in respect to salvation so that we can put aside sin so that we can grow more in Christ-likeness. And so I pray that uh, we would all be encouraged and challenged to do that work uh, as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for uh, the kindnesses that you have shown us. We pray that you would help us to, um, to strive to become more like Christ so that we can uh, demonstrate to the world around us that uh, the gospel truly does work. Help us to be kind people, Lord. Um, and... Uh, and help us to reflect Christ in the way that we respond to others. It's your sons and we pray. Amen.